welcome to episode 46 of the X-Files Retrospective Podcast, released through Bureau42.com. I'm your host, Blaine Dowler, and it's pretty great to be back here. Now, I say back, as far as listeners are concerned, the schedule has been uninterrupted. As far as I'm concerned, I set these aside for a while to focus on another podcast, namely Doctor Who 50 and 50, and then did some other ones before coming back. So there's been 24 months between recording episodes for me. I had a few in the can, so to speak. I worked very far ahead when I first started, to the point that it was virtually impossible to include listener feedback in the episodes, just because I was working well out in advance. Well, as these episodes have finally been released and people have had a chance to listen to them, I've been able to get some of that feedback, and you're going to notice some changes in the show. I'm still going to keep fairly light on the plot synopsis, since I heartily recommend that people watch this as it comes. I know the seasons are $10 each on DVD here in Canada. The series is available on Netflix. It's readily available through a number of sources, and that's including reruns and so forth. So I am still going to be light on the plot synopsis. Additionally, I've had some feedback that said, you know, a little too much time going through IMDb credits. It seems that the sort of film studies aspect about how the sausage is made, so to speak, are popular elements, so that's going to stay, and if anything, we're going to get a little bit more of that, and I do want to try to be more responsive, so have less lead time so I can start including some of the feedback that I've been getting in a more timely fashion, including reading emails that are sent to bureau42podcasts at gmail.com and so forth. But with that out of the way, we might as well dig into the episode. This week we are looking at The Kalushari, Season 2, Episode 21, Original Air Date, April 14th, 1995. This episode had an IMDb user score of 7.5 out of 10 when I originally ran through the entire series and assembled them, and most of the action takes place in the state of Virginia. So this episode is actually a nice one to come back on when I am going to be emphasizing a little bit of the film studies end, because there's a number of elements to talk about in this. First of all, we have the writer. This is the second and final episode of the series written by Sarah B. Charno, who now is credited as Sarah B. Cooper. She previously did Aubrey earlier in this same season. After X-Files, she went on to do Chicago Hope, Sleepwalkers, Homicide Life in the Streets, Laura Croft Tomb Raider, Sanctuary, House, and a few other notable entries. Prior to working as a screenwriter, she actually was a practitioner of Eastern medicine, and you can see that knowledge and influence coming through in this particular story. It's about a family that's sort of transposed to America, when an American businessman met and married an Armenian woman, and the family moved back to America. Their youngest child dies under mysterious circumstances, chasing a balloon out onto the train tracks, and his older brother doesn't seem terribly phased by it. We ultimately learn that the older brother, Charlie, was bonded to the spirit or possessed by the spirit of his stillborn twin brother, and the Kalushari are a group of Romanians who are familiar with this type of possessing and are ultimately the ones who manage to save the child, but not until after a few more people die. The episode was directed by Michael Vijar, or Vihar, I'm not sure how to pronounce V-E-J-A-R, just in case it's not an English background name. Of his 62 directorial credits, this is his only episode of The X-Files. So prior to this, he started with his first director credit on Fantasy Island back in 1979. He's since directed Quincy, Incredible Hulk, Simon and Simon, Cagney and Lacey, Scarecrow and Mrs. King, A-Team, and a whole raft 
of series that people who grew up in the 80s watching action shows would know. In terms of science fiction connections that would be better known to Bureau 42 readers and listeners, we're looking at Star Trek The Next Generation, we're looking at Quantum Leap, we're looking at 17 episodes of MacGyver and one of the MacGyver TV movies, five episodes of RoboCop, and following this, he worked on Lois and Clark, FX The Series, Deep Space Nine, and 14 episodes of Babylon 5, as well as four episodes of Crusade, as well as a number of other Straczynski projects and Star Trek projects, including Enterprise, Voyager, Jeremiah, and so forth. In fact, if you read the script books for Babylon 5 with forwards by J. Michael Straczynski, you'll see that he credits Mike Vigier as being the director who does the best job of extracting exactly what he wants and knowing exactly how to take at least Straczynski's scripts and put them on screen the way Straczynski envisioned them. The cast includes Helene Clarkson as Maggie Holvey, the mother of both of the children, the toddler who passes away, and the older boy, Charlie. This is one of nine acting credits that she has ranging from 1993 to the year 2000, and the probably the next most notable show that she was a part of was Earth Final Conflict. Now, we've seen Joel Palmer as the possessed boy, Charlie Holvey, before. He previously appeared as Kevin Morris in Conduit, and would later go on to appear in Outer Limits, Poltergeist The Legacy, and a number of other series. As of 2005, he was still acting. He may still be acting now, but his credits are not appearing on the IMDb. Another boy's grandmother, Golda, who brought in the Kalosarian, was performing various acts of protection, has a lot of acting credits to her name, dating back to 1950. Now, we've got Alfred Hitchcock Presents in here. We've got McLeod in here, Mannix, Macmillan, and Wife. There's a large list of shows that she did prior to this, including Earth 2 and Murder, She Wrote shortly before it, Pretender, Star Trek Deep Space Nine, Friends, CSI, and a few other shows shortly thereafter. Now, one of the most recognizable faces in here, even if he's not a recognizable name, is K.E. Cooter. He plays the lead Kaldosari who's there to protect the boy. His acting credits go back to 1951, but he was a regular on Green Acres. He appeared in Kung Fu. He appeared in the original V. In the new Leave it to Beaver, Next Generation, Matlock, Seinfeld as the older priest. He was the voice of Eagle the Living Planet in the 1995 Fantastic Four TV series, but he's probably best known for The Last Starfighter, Warlock, and Guys and Dolls. Now, in terms of X-Files regulars, we do have a couple of the cast members I want to mention. Bill Dow is back. He originally appeared as a father in Jersey Devil. Now he plays Chuck Burke, who would be referred to as Charles Burks in later episodes. This is his second appearance on the X-Files. The first is this character. This character appears six times, and the actor actually plays three different characters. So when we see him next, it'll be as a new character, and then Charles Burks from then on. And Dr. Burks is known for doing a lot of image processing. We'll talk about his later credits after we discuss his last appearance. And the last of the on-screen actors I'm going to mention here is Christine Willis. This is her second of three appearances as Agent Karen E. Kosseff who appears to be something of a social worker. She'd appeared previously in Irresistible and will appear again in Elegy. Prior to this, she was in Outer Limits. She will appear again in Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, Dead Like Me, and Reaper, with Dead Like Me and Reaper possibly being her best-known roles to Bureau 42 readers. So that's the cast and crew. They're, at least the cast, is very respectable. Now, I want to point out a few members of the crew who really stand out here. This is an episode that really should have worked. We've got credentials for the writer, we've got credentials for the director, we've got a strong cast, 
Everything looked like it was going great until they got into the editing room and the dailies were coming in and it just didn't seem to be working the way they wanted it to work. So this is one where Chris Carter took a very heavy hand in the post-production process. Now, post-production is the term used to reference the things that are done after you've finished filming. So with X-Files schedules and with the location shooting they were doing, they rarely had the opportunity to go back and reshoot footage. So once you're done shooting, if it doesn't work, the only chance you have is to work with what you've got. And this team actually did that quite well. There's a few changes that were made that really helped beef it up and you know, help make it realistic. And a couple I want to point out. We've got cinematography, we've got editing, and we've got sound design. Now, the cinematography and editing kind of go hand in hand here. In the teaser, when Teddy is being lured out onto the railroad tracks and is hit by the train, it cuts around. So we see mom's reaction, we see dad's reaction, we see the reactions of random strangers, and we see the reaction of Charlie, who is just standing stock still, unmoving. He's watching it, but there's no apparent emotional reaction. And as we're cutting back and forth, we see a close-up of Charlie. Now, in the days when things were shot on film and not digitally, you could actually see the grain. So there's a certain amount of resolution in the film, and there's almost a texture to it, depending on what film stock is used. Now, in the case of this close-up, the grain changes. It becomes grainier. There's a little more blurring, a little more texture, or at least the features of the texture appear larger. And that's a sign that when this was shot, they didn't actually shoot a close-up. Now, whether they wanted to, but the location shooting didn't allow it, so they decided to do it in post-production, or whether the need for that only arose or became clear in post-production, I don't know. But the increased grain is a result of taking a smaller portion of the image than was originally recorded and expanding it and zooming in on it to fill the screen. So that's how they were able to create a close-up of Charlie when they actually hadn't filmed it. Later at the break between Acts 2 and 3, there's other in-camera tricks with the cinematography. When Mulder and Charlie exchange a look, they're both shown to blur a little bit as they're moving. Not much, just enough to give a bit of an unearthly feel, which is again something added in post-production to heighten that tension and to give that, that feeling of unreality and fantasy. Now, in particular on this one, I'd like to draw attention to the sound department. So we have Thierry J. Couturier as the supervising sound editor, and I'm sorry if I butchered his name, Craig Hunter as the sound re-recording mixer, Nello Torrey and David John West were also sound re-recording mixers, and Michael T. Williamson was the sound mixer in general. And they put some of the nicest touches in here. There's a sequence where Charlie goes into a seizure, and the characters run from one room to another. There's actually a change in the quality of voices where the echoing disappears as the characters run into the same room. So it's no longer echoing and coming around the corners as though you're in different rooms, it's as though you're right there. Now, the way this would have been done in post-production is to have the microphone in the room to have a nice clean signal with no echoing whatsoever, and then add the echoing in post-production. So that's something that's done by making a conscious choice on the part of the sound designers to make it sound that way. A lot of shows will miss that detail, and we don't necessarily pick up on it as viewers, but something wouldn't sit right. We couldn't necessarily put our finger on why it doesn't sit right, but generally just we feel a little more detached from the show if we don't have that element of realism. We also have the sequence at the end when they're finally performing the exorcism or the separation ritual, just before they paint the swastika protective symbol on Charlie's chest. We see Charlie sort of squirming and running back and forth. Now, when Joel Palmer's playing this, he is trying to squirm and turn and move around things. And as it turns out, Joel has a fairly long neck. There's one moment in particular 
where his neck really stretches and stands out and his head twists at an angle. And this is where the sound design really comes in. One of the most unnerving points in this episode is when his head twists and we hear a very audible crack, almost as though his neck is breaking in. It's an inhuman level of neck bending. Turns out that's just the way Joel Palmer played it. You can find the original script online without too much difficulty, and that neck crack is not there. That's something that was inserted in the editing room when they realized what it can do. So a lot of these elements that really engage the viewer and help this episode stand out were actually inserted after filming was done. And that was done in, as I said, post-production. So overall, it's an entertaining episode. It's not one that seems to have a lot of lasting implications, although they left the door open for that when the lead Kalasari tells Mulder he needs to be careful since this great evil has now seen him and will recognize him. But it's going to be sometime, if ever, before we get any connection to that or reference to that. So that about wraps up everything I have to say about the Kalasari. Join us again in two weeks when we discuss F. Emasculata. In the meantime, please rate the show on iTunes or on Stitcher. You are welcome and encouraged to submit feedback to bureau42podcasts at gmail.com. Keep listening in the next few weeks as we announce other changes to the show and its format, some of which I'm really looking forward to. And thank you for listening. Intro and outro music is Outside Poolside by Laswell, created under the Creative Commons license. All other content copyright 2015, Bureau 42. Please feel free to send any comments or feedback to bureau42podcasts at gmail.com or leave us a review on iTunes or Stitcher. Thank you for listening.